Well, friends, I, I hate to stop that conversation. I know there's a lot of good conversations going around. It's a huge question. I know we can't really um, cover that question in its complexity in that little time that we had, but it's a very important question to ask, isn't it? As, together, as we come together as a church and we think about the things of God, um, yeah, what would your answer be to that question? Keep that in mind as we go into today's message from Mark 10. Now, friends, let, you know, we spend our whole lives uh, being told a certain message. Do you know what that message is? You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. If you just believe, if you try hard, if you put in the effort, you can do it. You can do anything. Right? That's what we're told growing up. That's what our schools tell us. That's what society tells us. If you just put your mind to it, you put in the effort, you work hard, you can do it. Maybe you're telling that to your kids. Uh, it's a very common way that we parent as well. You can do it. But let me tell you something. There are lots of things in this world that you can't do. All right? I'm going to give you an example of a few of those things. All right? uh, a lot of things that if you work, even if you work as hard as you can, you're not going to be able to do it. Okay? Here's a few examples. Now, you cannot play tennis as well as Roger Federer, no matter how hard you try. Okay, I guarantee that. Even you, Caleb, is what I guarantee. You cannot play tennis as well as Roger Federer, no matter how hard you try. Okay? You cannot run as fast as Usain Bolt, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put in. You cannot do that. Okay? It doesn't matter how fast you are. And you cannot sing like Beyonce. All right? You can't. All right, you just can't do those things, no matter how much you believe in it, no matter how much you try, no matter how much effort you put into it. But let me tell you one other thing you can't do, and this one's a little bit more serious. One thing that you can't do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put in. You can't enter heaven, no matter how much you try, no matter how much effort you put in. This is one thing you cannot do. So what hope do we have? Well, that's the question that we're going to have answered today in the book of Mark. And friends, we're entering today into chapter 10, and we're in a little section which ranges from chapter 8 to 10, focusing on what Jesus has come to do. And we see a pattern actually emerging over these chapters. I don't know if you've noticed it. Here's the pattern. Jesus predicts his death. The disciples do something. And then Jesus teaches about discipleship. So if you remember in chapter 8, Jesus had his first prediction about his death. What did the disciples do? Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, no, Jesus, you can't do this. You've got it all wrong. This is not how the Messiah you know, is supposed to bring about his rule. And then Jesus takes all the disciples aside and he begins to teach them about discipleship, that the path of discipleship is taking up your cross and following me because that is the path of the king to take up his cross and to die. Right? And then in chapter 9, we see this pattern again. Jesus predicts his death the second time. The disciples, what do they do? They start talking about who's, the great, who's going to be the greatest. Now, who is the greatest amongst them? And Jesus takes them aside and teaches them. If you want to be great, you need to be last. You need to humble yourself. You need to be the servant of all. That is what greatness is. And in chapter 10 today, we're going to see our last cycle of this pattern where Jesus predicts his death. The disciples respond with some action. Jesus teaches them about discipleship. And this is the last and final pattern. And as we, as we see these things happening over the last few chapters, we see that Jesus' demands for discipleship are getting higher and higher and higher. Did you notice that? that it's, just, it's just ridiculous in one sense what Jesus is asking. Complete sacrifice, servant-heartedness, 
giving everything you've got. This is a high, high standard. And then we see the disciples, and what's the contrast? They just keep getting further and further away from this, don't they? They're nowhere near being good enough to enter the kingdom of God, even though they are disciples of Jesus Christ. The disciples seem to be falling further and further away, and we're left with the question, what hope do these guys have? And I guess for us too, what hope do we have if the standards are so high? And that's what we'll see today in chapter 10. Uh, as the chapter opens, we see Jesus actually entering Judea, which is in the south of Israel. Uh, as he heads towards Jerusalem, we'll see the significance of that quite soon. And as he heads into um, uh, the region of Judea, towards Jerusalem, the Pharisees come and they speak to him. And um, the Pharisees, the first thing that they ask him is a question about divorce. Right? We didn't have this in our Bible reading. Uh, a question about divorce and it's trying to catch Jesus out, trying to test him. And friends, unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about that topic in detail today because um, it's a very complex topic. It's a very sensitive topic, very personal to many of us here. And I can't do that justice in today's sermon, but I'd love for you to come and talk to me if that's something that you'd like to talk about. And also on our CPE Church Hub Facebook group, I've uploaded a few helpful articles to help us think through this issue of divorce and what the Bible says about that. So please jump on there and have a look as well. But please have a chat to me about this particular issue. I know it's a sensitive one, it's a complex one, but we don't have time to do that, do justice to it today. I'm sorry. Yeah. So as we um, move on from that episode where the Pharisees try to catch Jesus out with a question on divorce, they're not really interested about divorce, they're just trying to catch him out. We actually pick it up at verse 13 where our reading started and we're at our first point, which is be a child. So I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open, follow along with me. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, the key passages will be coming along the screen, but I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles with me. Point one is be a child. So as Jesus is teaching, the disciples bring a whole bunch of kids to him. And the disciples, uh, I mean, not the disciples, sorry, people bring a whole bunch of kids to him. And the disciples say to the people, take these kids away. Jesus doesn't have time for unimportant people like this. This is Jesus, right? Take those kids away. But have a look with me at verse 14, at what Jesus says. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, we're often being told to grow up, right, um, to act your age, uh, especially to the young men amongst us, and that is a message you need to hear. Uh, a lot of us do need to grow up, and it's a message the Bible actually gives us as well, that we need to move on to maturity. Growing up is very important. But in this particular situation, Jesus doesn't want us to grow up. He doesn't want us to grow up. He wants us to be a child, to be like a little kid, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we need to be like kids. You know what that means? Think about what kids are like. They're completely dependent. They're completely dependent. I know this to be true with three kids. They are too dependent sometimes in one sense. But that's the nature of children. They're completely dependent. They're helpless without adults. They're humble. They're low. They're small. They depend on others for everything. And this is what Jesus calls on us to do, to be like kids, to let go of our independence, of thinking that we can do things all by ourselves, but to 
throw ourselves at his feet, to be humble and to depend on him like little children, like little kids who are helpless. And as you come to Jesus as as a child, do you know what? He gives you something. Verse 15 says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The requirements to enter the kingdom received the gift of the kingdom like a little child. My son Jordan is one and a half, nearing two, actually. Let me tell you what happens when you give him a present. He doesn't hesitate to take it. He doesn't ponder whether he deserves that present. He takes that present, he rips off the wrapping, opens it up, and just starts playing with it. Right? That's, that's what he does, because he's a kid, and when you give him a gift, he takes it and receives it, and takes great joy in it. And this is what Jesus calls us to do. If you want us, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to be part of that eternal reality of God's reign and good rule forever, if you want eternal life, do you know what you need to do? You need to receive the kingdom of God like a child. You need to come to Jesus humble and small and dependent and just receive that gift as he gives it to you. That's the call. And this is so countercultural, isn't it? Because we hate being dependent on others. We hate being weak and not being able to see, think, do things ourselves. Many of us here are high achievers who pride ourselves on doing things by ourselves. But Jesus calls us to put that away. Put away that pride. To be humble. And to be dependent 100% on Him. Friends, this gift is given and it's available to everyone. But let me tell you something. Not everyone is going to make it. And we're at point two. Why rich people won't go to heaven. As Jesus prepares to leave, a man runs up to him and he kneels down at Jesus' feet and he asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, isn't it? And Jesus looks at him um, and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. It's a bit of an odd thing to say for Jesus being God, but you'll soon see he says that because this man hasn't actually understood what good means. He actually hasn't understood what God, who God actually is as well. So Jesus says that to him. And then he says, if you want to inherit eternal life, this is what you need to do. You know the commandments. You need to keep them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not defraud, do not lie, honour your father and mother. These, these are the requirements, right? And the man looks at Jesus and says, I've done all of these things since I was a boy. Wow. He's done them all since he was a boy? You know, if this guy walked into our church that we're reading about right now, we, you know what we'd be thinking? We'd be thinking, what a great guy. What a great guy. He would be a shining example of the Christian life, wouldn't he? Because he, this is a man who walks in to our church. We get to talk to him. We get to meet him. And he's fantastic. He's very nice. He's morally just upright and pure. right? He's obedient to the law. And as we'll find out very soon, he's rich. He's successful as well. This, this man would be upheld in our church, wouldn't he? As a pinnacle of Christian success. 
He's fantastic. But as we soon see, he isn't good enough. This is the sort of guy that, um, I guess, when you're growing up, your parents used to compare you to. You know, the one that they always used to say, hey, my friend's son got high distinctions, why you only got distinctions, you know? Or um, he's, he's already got a high-paying job, why is your job so bad, yeah? That's, that's the sort of person that this man is. And if you've never had that happen to you, maybe you're that guy. Maybe you're that person. But being fantastic like this, like we often think is great, is not good enough for Jesus. It's not good enough. Have a look at verse 21 with me. Have a look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The man walks away from Jesus, very sad, not following Jesus, but holding on to his money. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, verse 23, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Have you ever tried to get a camel through the eye of a needle? Have you ever tried to fit a camel through the little hole where a thread goes? Uh, some, some people, you might have heard this story, that uh, think that the eye of the needle is actually the name of a little gate in a wall where the camels had to duck down to get into, but there's actually no archaeological or historical evidence for that fact. What Jesus is actually saying is just, he's using an illustration, it's hyperbole, it's exaggeration, it's ridiculous. Getting a camel through the eye of a needle... You can't do it. That's the point. That's why Jesus is using this illustration. Friends, this young man, he did all the right things. He had everything going for him. Everything. But being good on the world's standards does not get you into the kingdom of God. Being good does not win you eternal life. As I said in my intro before, you can't get into heaven no matter how hard you try. No matter how hard you try. Because the real issue is a heart issue. Remember Mark 7? Jesus said, it's what comes from inside of us. That's the problem. That's the issue. Our hearts, broken and sinful. That's what we need to get right. You can't fix that up with external behaviours. And Jesus here gives a command, a command to, the, to the man to give a little diagnosis of his heart of the heart issue, give away everything you have and follow me, and the man cannot do it. He cannot let go of his wealth in his heart. His sin is holding on to that more so than he wants to follow Jesus. Remember the call of Jesus right before he met this man. Be a child. Be dependent on me. 100%. Dependence humility, depending on me. Then you will receive the kingdom of God. But this man comes and he's not depending on Jesus. He's depending on his good works. He's depending on his obedience. He's depending on his wealth and money. That's where his security lies. That's where his trust lies. That's where his faith lies. 
And that isn't dependence on Jesus. He's not willing to let go of these things. And for this fact alone, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You won't. Now, friends, this isn't, isn't the main point of the passage, but I want to take a minute to talk about wealth and riches just for a minute here. I want to talk to all the rich people here in our congregation. And before you think that's not you, uh, let me give you a little bit of perspective. According to the Global Rich List, which is an organization investigating the disparity between the rich and poor in the world, if you make more than $45,000 a year, you're on the top 1% of the world's wealth. The top 1%. One in ten people survive on less than two dollars a day. And, you know, you might say, oh yeah, different, uh, different incomes and things cost less and things like that. But your own subjective experience, just think about that. Most of us here do not have to worry about what we will eat for our next meal, the clothes, where our clothes will come from, where we will sleep in safety tonight. And for that fact alone, you are rich. You have everything you need and more. And some of you here, you know, there's no doubt, you are incredibly rich. Six-figure salaries, nice cars, a property or two. And this is very dangerous for all of us. The question I need to ask you all, and the question I need to ask myself, is are our riches sending us to hell? Friends, Jesus wants our faith. And the question we have to ask is, does he have it? Does he have it? Plenty of us here confess to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, right? That we depend on Jesus Christ. But is that all we are depending on? Or is it Jesus plus something else? Is it Jesus plus your bank account? Is it Jesus plus your good job? Is it Jesus plus your house and your properties? Because if it's Jesus plus something else, then you're not depending on Jesus. That's not wholehearted dependence and faith that he requires like he asks of little, us to come like little kids, 100% dependent. Where does your faith lie? A good diagnostic question to ask yourself is, what are you not willing to let go of? Because that's what Jesus said to the young man, didn't he? What are you not willing to let go of? And that's the thing that you're worshipping and holding on to more than Christ. When he comes to Jesus, he demands all of you, all of you, you need to be willing to give it up all for him. It's a blank check. You write a blank check for him. He can take anything, everything. And if we're not willing to let that go, then maybe we're not really disciples of Jesus. Now, friends, money is not evil. Money is a blessing that God gives us. But the love of money, the love of money, the Bible talks over and over and over again, is the root of all kinds of evil and it's the path to hell. So how can we be sure that we don't love money more than Jesus? Are you ready for this? Give it away. Give it away. I'm not saying this because CP Church needs more money, you know. I don't care where you give it, to be honest. There's plenty of good organisations that you can be giving towards to help the work of God in this world. Plenty of missionary organisations, CMS, OMF, Compassion, who helps kids out of poverty, 
for the sake of Jesus. Organizations like Geneva push church planting all around the country, trying to reach the nation for Christ. Uh, organizations like Open Doors, who are helping persecuted Christians, our brothers and sisters, are dying overseas every day. You know, you can give money towards that cause. Matthias Media, who publishes Christian resources for the whole world to use so that more know Jesus. There's a list of organizations on our webpage, if you look under our giving tab, that you can give towards. If you want to make sure you don't worship your money, then you give it away. Giving your money away is to the cause of the gospel. Friends, that shows that you're not trusting your money more than Jesus. I had a friend who had a process where every time he wanted to buy something for himself, he would, have, he would set aside the same amount of money to give. Yeah, so if he wanted to buy uh, a $2,000 laptop or what, whatnot, he would set aside an additional $2,000 to give away before he would allow himself to actually do something like that. You know, they, that slowed him down. That made him think. You know, maybe that's something to think about, you know, a process like that to get us thinking about our money and what are we doing with it. Now, friends, that's not the cure, is it? But that's a sign of our heart. We have to see if we're willing to give it all for Jesus Christ. Many of us come to this passage and we think, does that mean that Jesus wants me to live in poverty? That's the wrong question to ask. You have to ask yourself, what are you willing to do for Christ? He'll demand different things from all of us. But ask yourself, are you willing to give it to him? Complete dependence on Jesus is the only way to inherit eternal life, friends. And let me show you why that's the case. We're at our third point, which is impossible made possible, point three. The disciples are shocked at Jesus' response to this rich young man. How can this man not be able to enter the kingdom of God? This man is morally pure. He's obedient to the law. This man is rich, who the rabbis in those days taught that if you were rich, it was a sure sign that God's blessings were on you. If this man has it all, if he can't enter the kingdom then who can? This is the big question the disciples are asking. Who then can be saved? That's a question that comes up over and over in these passages. That's a question that we're faced with as well. If we see this man, if he can't be saved, who then can be saved? That's the question we need to be asking. How can we enter the kingdom of God? How can we inherit eternal life? How can we have salvation? The answer to this question will change your life for eternity. So listen up, because the rest of the chapter will unpack this answer. Hear what Jesus says in response, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You cannot enter heaven if it was up to you. But with God, all things are possible. You can't do it. You can't do it. How on earth are you supposed to bridge the gap between you and God? The gap between you as someone who is sinful and imperfect and a holy and perfect God. How are you supposed to bridge that gap of us being lowly created beings and Him being the creator and the Lord of the entire universe? How are we supposed to do that? How? Are we supposed to do that with our good works? Our bits of behaviour that seem good? It's like trying to use a toothpick to cross the Grand Canyon. It's ridiculous. You cannot do it. 
That gap is so big that, humanly speaking, no one can cross it by themselves. You can't do it. That's why we need God's help to do that. God has made a way. How? Well, let's skip forward to verse 33, to Jesus' final prediction about the cross. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. See, you see why Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem? This is why he's heading south through the region of Judea, because he's heading towards the cross. He knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he will die. This is his mission. This is his focus. This is what he's come for, to go to the cross. And how will the disciples respond? Well, they don't disappoint us because the next thing we see is James and John um, coming to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, can we ask a favor? I know you just predicted your own death, but um, when you go to heaven in glory, can I sit on your left and then my brother, can he sit on your right? That would be great. Thanks, Jesus. That's what they come to asking for. They're still arguing about greatness. Admittedly, they shifted their focus to greatness in the kingdom, but they're still fighting about greatness and the other disciples come and they find out that they're doing this and they get jealous and they start saying, you know, what are you saying to Jesus? And there's a big fight. Jesus has to calm everyone down like a bunch of little Sunday school kids. And then he teaches them, he reminds them, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. But the next verse is the real key Chapter 10, verse 45. And it's a real key, and potentially this is the key for the entire book of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a a ransom for many. Why has Jesus been talking about the cross over and over and over and over again? Because the cross is the only way that it is made possible for us to bridge that gap between us and God. The cross is the only way for salvation to be possible. Because Jesus says on the cross by his death, he pays the ransom price. Friends, we're all in debt to God because we haven't lived up to his good and perfect standard We're in debt to him, and we're in a debt that we can never, ever hope to pay off, no matter how good you are, no matter how good uh, your behavior is, no matter how many good things you do. You cannot ever hope to come near to paying that debt off, which is why Jesus needs to come, which is why he needs to step into our place and die to pay the price for us 100%, to completely pay off and wipe the slate clean for us. The ransom price that Jesus paid, he paid it so we can be free. We can be free. That's what a ransom is, freeing a slave from slavery. That's what the ransom price was back in the day. We can be free to enter the kingdom of God. We can be free to be saved. We can be free to be called sons and daughters of God. That is the price that Jesus pays. This is how the impossible is made possible. Do you understand that, friends? This is how the impossible is made possible. And it comes at a huge cost to God, His own Son. 
Jesus Christ, the servant king, who serves us with everything. Everything. Who then can be saved? Those who come to Jesus like little children, depending on him and his work on the cross and nothing else. That's who can be saved. Friends, salvation is not based on what you do, but on what God has done. Let me say that again. Salvation is not based on what you do, it's based on what God has done. That's what we need to get into our heads, and that has to fuel us for our Christian lives every single step of the way. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the hope of the world. And isn't it liberating when you think about it? Because we are freed from the burden of just trying to be good all the time. Because we can't do it. That burden of behaving and being good and obeying all the time. and just It's a burden that we cannot bear. And we are liberated from that by knowing that Christ has done it all. It's not up to what we do. We have freedom. If you want to enter the kingdom, you don't try harder. You trust in Jesus. You trust in Jesus. Stop trusting in what you do, friends, and start trusting in the one who's done it all. The question we need to ask is, Will you do that? Will you trust in him? And friends, some of you today might be thinking you need to trust in Jesus. And if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after service. Come and talk to me. I would love to talk to you and pray with you because Jesus wants us to come to him like little kids and there we can find life, true life that lasts. Friends, as we finish, let me just finish with one point. You know, we've heard today that we can't contribute anything to our salvation. Um, but what about faith? Have you ever thought about this? Isn't faith a work? Isn't faith something that we do, that we bring to the table so that we can be saved? Haven't we actually done something? So, you know, maybe, maybe we are actually contributing something to our salvation. Well, the short answer is no. Uh, the longer answer, let me tell you why. Uh, it's because when you think about what faith is, faith is nothing. Faith is, there's nothing... Faith is not, there's no substance to faith. You need to have faith in something. You can't just have faith. There needs to be an object of faith, right? So faith in and of itself doesn't actually do anything. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. That's the grounds of salvation. What faith is, you can think of faith like this. Faith is the open hands that we have to receive the gift of God as he places it into our hands. You're not working to get that. God's placing the gift of the kingdom of God. He's placing salvation into our hands. And what we're called to do is just receive. Receive. That's not work. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And when you think about this too, where do you think faith comes from when you start responding? Do you think you've just generated it with your sheer willpower? No, we are sinners. By ourselves, we, are, we would never come to God. Right? We would be focused on ourselves. Right? The very fact that we even have faith, that we even come to God, is a work of God. It's a work of the Spirit in our hearts to transform us, to turn back to Him and away from sin. So in short, it's all God. It's all God. It's all God. Nothing comes from you. From start to finish, it's all God. Every single step of the way. 
And that's what we need to recognize for our Christian life. Every step of the way is complete dependence on God. Let me tell you, friends, your Christian life is fueled by dependence on Jesus. As you live your discipleship out day by day, serving others, where does that strength come from? It comes from Jesus. As you live trying to let go of the idols of your heart, how do you do that? It's through Jesus. And as you fail at times in your walk and you need forgiveness, where does it come from? It's from Jesus. So never stop depending on Jesus Christ. Never. From start to finish, it's all about Him. So friends, remember, salvation is not about what you do, but it's about what God has done. And that truth liberates us. That's true freedom. And that's eternal life. Let me give thanks to God for that. Father, we thank you for what you have done because we can't do anything. We thank you that Christ has done it all on the cross. And we pray that you will help us by your spirit to depend on him and to let go of the things of the world that pull us down away from our king, our servant king, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.